only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Formula One is back for 2024, and so is F1 Nation. With me, Tom Clarkson. Every Monday throughout the season, we'll bring you expert analysis, insight and reaction from the heart of the Formula One paddock. Whether you're joining us for the first time or you're a seasoned listener, welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining us. If you ever want to ask us a question, then you can email us at f1nation at f1.com. f1nation at f1.com. And we'll do our best to answer whatever queries you have on the podcast. We've got so much to talk about before this Saturday's Bahrain Grand Prix gets the 2024 season underway. We'll discuss what we've learned from pre-season testing, as well as some of the key stories to keep an eye on in 2024. And we'll be putting our F1 Nation team to the test in Quiz the Nation. And that team is a stellar cast. I'm joined by 1996 Formula One world champion Damon Hill. Hello, Damon. Hello, Tom. How are you? That was a great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we have Sky presenter Natalie Pinkham. Pinkle, hello. Morning, hello. <laughs> and of course, last but by no means least, it's former McLaren podium finisher and current Aston Martin ambassador, Pedro de la Rosa. Pedro, how are you? Very well, very well. Here in Bahrain already, you know, warming up for what's coming. Well, you're so keen. I feel like we've got the band back together. It's great to see you all. It's good to be back, isn't it? It's great. It's great we're getting getting going. I mean, I, I spent the, the last God knows how many months in dark, total darkness and pouring rain, it seems like, um, except for a, a small hiatus when uh, I, I popped out to do some skiing with, a, with the man who works in F1 and his son. Uh, and uh, that was um, interesting, wasn't it, Tom? We had a good time, Damon. That is true. Cheers for the invite, boys. It was boys very trip. last minute.com, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it was very last minute. <laughs> look let's get down to business we've had three days of testing in Bahrain the drivers have done long runs short runs practice starts pit stop you name it they've done it and they've gathered a lot of data which the teams will be analyzing right now as we speak in the build-up to this weekend's opening race what we've seen listened to and read from testing doesn't give anywhere near a full picture of what we might witness this weekend or for the rest of the season. But Pedro, as you've just said, you're already in Bahrain with Aston Martin. You were there for testing. What have been the main talking points for your, from your point of view? Wow. What a, what a question to start with uh, the podcast, uh, Tom. There's happened. I mean, there's been so many things going on. I mean, uh, everyone was talking about the design of the cars, uh, the the side pods, the look alike of each car. But the the mo- biggest talking point was obviously the, the the Red Bull. Not only because it was a different concept, but also because uh, the first day of testing, uh, Verstappen was uh, Max was flying, was flying like uh, I haven't. I mean, for a long time, I haven't seen someone uh, opening such a big gap to the rest. You know, in the first few laps of the first, you know. So I think that after that. It must. Uh, they w- they must have probably, you know, start adding fuel to the car just to make sure that they, they didn't uh, they didn't uh, go as fast as as it looked like. But that was the biggest talking point: how fast the Red Bull and how different it was. Well, I want to ask Pedro a question because this time last year, Aston Martin were obviously straight out of the blocks. Really exciting start to the season. Obviously, got a podium Bahrain, and I'm hearing that Fernando is even better this time round. So is that the case? I mean, can we be genuinely really excited as Aston Martin be pushing Red Bull all the way? Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure really, you know. I mean, we had a great last day, the the long run from Fernando. At the end of the day, we were always giving priority to the long runs, especially at the time that it matters, which was at night time, which uh, is uh, from 6 p.m. onwards, which is the time that the, the race will happen, the qualifying will happen. So uh, it was uh, an encouraging long run, to be honest. 
but there's so many things not to 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 be careful about is uh, what time of the day you did the long run how much how windy it was but also people are comparing long runs and they are making mistakes because they are comparing the long runs for example the, it is very different to do a long run with heavy fuel to do a race simulation the different things a race simulation you start with 110 kilos let's say which is the 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 the, the kilos you would start a race with and you degrade the fuel as you run. So you do pit stops, you change compounds, and you basically do the 57 laps of the race. You end up with uh, zero kilos of fuel at the end of the, the steel. Then if you do long runs, every time you change tires, you fill the, the tank again. So it is a bit different. And it's that's why, why it makes it so difficult to compare lap times because you have to degrade the, the fuel, uh, degrade the time, you know, basically. So it is not as simple as that. Plus, then you have to be very careful with track temperature and wind. So it is difficult. Though basically, I cannot answer your question. Uh, I think that the teams you can you can compare yourself against the past, against but it's very difficult to compare yourself against uh, your competitors. So compare yourself to this time last year. Are you better? Of course. I mean, this is Formula One. You know, I mean, every year, every year you improve. Every year you you add. You add downforce, you you lower the weight, you, you basically you work you know, on the suspensions, on the mechanical side. So I think every team, every, there's no team in the grid that is not faster than last year. I mean, this would be ridiculous. I mean, this is that that's why when people ask me, I mean, uh, you know how I mean, how do you compare against the rest, or how are you doing? I just I just tell them the truth is I have no idea because there is there's around six seven seconds on. A fuel effect, those 110 kilos versus, uh, you know, in qualifying, typically in Bahrain, you would be using five kilos. Every 10 kilos is over three tenths of a second difference. So just imagine the difference. And then there is there is the compound, which was uh, people were doing their lap times sometimes with the C4, C5, which is extremely uh, soft and you would never use it in uh, Bahrain. You would go to the C3. Uh, and then there is the, the engine modes on top of that. Because we have the engine mode, so where do you use the energy? How much you use? Uh, how much you exploit the engine? So it can be another half a second on top of that. Do you use DRS or not? Because uh, the long runs you don't use DRS. So uh, what time of the day? I, the, the 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 morning, the midday, it was uh, over I mean, one second slower than in the afternoon at night time. So it is very complicated to read the times. You have to be very careful, and therefore that's why I think the teams have to compare to themselves. Some teams did race simulations with 100, 110, 100, whatever kilos to start with, and they ended up with uh, virtually nothing. But other teams just did consistent long runs. So they they came into the garage, they filled the tanks, and went out again with a new set of tires. Why do the, some teams do race simulations? Why some other teams do this? They don't do it to hide performance because the people think that everyone is hiding performance. It's not because of that. You are doing your homework. And sometimes it's better to do a race simulation. Sometimes it's better to come into the garage, put the fuel back in and go out because then you can compare the performance of the compounds you will be using during the race. You know, So there is a lot of explanations, but the, the reality is that with three days of pre-season testing, people are not playing to hide their performance. They're just trying to learn. I was at testing as well, Pink, and I, I like Pedro, came away feeling that... Red Bull have taken a massive jump and I did uh, happen to be in the Red Bull hospitality area uh, just as Adrian Newey walked past and uh, I said to him, oh, Adrian, new car looks good. And he said, it's going to look very different after race seven. We've got a big upgrade coming, which is race seven being the first European race at Imola. And all I could say was, please delay the upgrade. Yeah, we can can intercept it if it doesn't arrive. You could watch it live as it happened all three days from dawn till dusk uh, on Sky, thanks to F1 as well. But there was a great bit where uh, Max had done a run and then Adrian is talking to uh, Jean-Pierre Lambiati. So, and um, and he's on the pit wall and he's sort of, they're, they're kind of having a quiet chat, but laughing like drains, you know, because they obviously realise... Um, how quick their car is and i think they probably after that decided we need to disguise this a bit because i don't think this is uh, going to go down too well damon that's a really good point pedro says no one's hiding performance but i definitely sensed that 
qualifying simulations went out the window after that. If they were planning on any, they didn't need to do that. The car is so impressive to watch. I went out to turn 11 uh, on Friday evening and just watched for half an hour. And Max was um, doing a sort of, not a race simulation, but he was simulating uh, the first stint of a race. And that thing was like a metronome, every lap doing exactly what he wanted. Um, and I came away thinking, well, yeah, yeah. The rumours are true. That thing is 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 a step ahead. I think it's very close behind uh, Ferrari maybe um, in P2, but it is close. And I think we will see some of the second and third order performance differentiators becoming a factor this year. Things like, I think, you know, strategy is always important, but as the as the field converges, you're going to be relying on strategy, on pit stops, on where that centre of gravity is that we mentioned earlier. So you're going to, you know, the best racing teams are going to do well this year, not just the fastest cars. I definitely felt that Checo Perez was struggling a little more than Max Verstappen in that car. Um, they had to rejig um, their program, as all the teams did, because of the drain drain cover issue at turn 11 that happened twice. So Checo Perez thought he was only going to get half a day on day two, but ended up doing the whole day. And didn't look as comfortable in the car, but we've seen that before uh, at Red Bull. And I think that is the biggest question mark as we go into the season is is what happens. How is Perez going to get on? I think the job description is clear. It is to raise the bar in qualifying and, you know, bring home more points than he did last year. Yet he's going to be looking in his mirrors at Daniel Ricciardo, at Liam Lawson, maybe at Fernando Alonso will be trying to muscle in on that second Red Bull as well. For me, it's about Perez having more consistency through the season. Because you remember, he obviously started last two well and finished it well. That middle bit that was so troublesome for him. So it's about having the mindset where he can be consistent, not rattled by Max's performance. I mean, it must be so hard being Max's teammate. But if you can focus on your own game, then maybe that's the key. I mean, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but um, to get distracted, you tell me, Damon and Pedro, how difficult is it to remain focused on your own cause and not be distracted by the other side of the garage? It's um, not a problem I ever had, Natalie. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I mean, actually, of course, we're always looking over our shoulder, aren't we, Pedro? You know, it's there's a kind of it's a kind of like a, a seesaw, you know, in the garage. The, the team are looking to be the quickest. And so the driver that is quickest, they all gravitate towards. And so you need to then go quicker again. And then it kind of tips backwards and forwards. And the trouble is, if it stays in the other guy's favour for too long, then interest tends to kind of wait. I mean, they, they do their very best, obviously, to give equal attention to both drivers. And, and actually, it's, you know, they're pretty disciplined about that. But the, nevertheless, it's a natural thing for the designer, for the design team for the engineers and the team owners and people to be more interested in the guy that's quickest. And that it is terrible when you have a monster next to you in the garage. It is just terrible. And uh, I remember in 2007 when we had this endless precision testing, we went to Malaysia, we went to Bahrain and I was at McLaren and I had uh, as, as my teammates, but obviously the race drivers were Fernando and, and Luis. And we were going to Bahrain, for example, which is a circuit I know well, and I'm pretty, I, I was always pretty quick there. Uh, and uh, we were doing the precision testing, and the plan was basically for Fernando and Luis to do all days. But those days that they were tired, that they, there were long runs to do, or they, you know, there was nothing really that they wanted, they were in, feeling interested about, I, I would jump in to, to unload their work. And I remember jumping, and every it was really... I was I was very fortunate to be jumping into the McLaren one day in the morning against uh, alongside Luis Hamilton the next uh, afternoon against Fernando for example you know so I, I was measuring myself against these these two monsters and it, it was they were so quick in any condition that if you start comparing yourself against them you end up underperforming so you just have to concentrate on what you can do like you've done all your life and forget about what's next on the garage, in the garage. Because if you do that, and that's what, you know, it would be my advice to Checo is just forget about what, uh, how quick uh, Max is and he can be. Just do your work and do it to the maximum. 
but it's it is very very easy to say it's extremely difficult to do because we are born to beat our teammates they they give you your they they earn your living you know i mean it doesn't matter if you win or you lose you just have to be always faster than your teammate so it's very difficult psychologically Checo is there as as his as Max's wingman, isn't he? Really, that so Red Bull wants Checo to be as competitive enough that he can stop the other guys from threatening uh, Max if it ever came to it, um, and also help them in winning the constructors' championship. Because don't forget, last year was the first time they'd ever done it. You know, getting um, the the one two in the championship as well. So, you know, he'd um, uh, not the constructors' championship. They won that a few times, but I mean, it, the the that is Checo's job is to be good enough. Um, to make sure they go one, two on the podium as many times as possible. It's worth mentioning, I think, that Formula One is fueled by paranoia. Doesn't matter what area of the business you work in, whether you're a designer, you're paranoid about what the other teams are doing. If you're a, a racing driver, you're paranoid about what your teammates doing. I think if you're a team principal, you're paranoid about what money's being spent elsewhere and what other. So who's been telling you this, Tom? <laughs> yes. Well he's, enough, he's paranoid. Spent, I spent an hour on Friday. <laughs> yes. Come on, own up. Who is it? Who's going to take your job? Oh, Who's yeah. going to take your job, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I spent I spent an hour discussing this kind of stuff with Checo Perez uh, for this week's season opening F1 Beyond the Grid. Actually, so that's out on Wednesday. But oh, Tom, poor guy. So you basically talked to him about paranoia going into the start of the season. We didn't only talk about that, but I just think it's, I think I can't think of another sport that has this undercurrent of. Oh, I don't know. I think it's every sport. I think that's what it is to succeed, isn't it? You're always going to be kept on your toes and pushing forward. I mean, we're talking about paranoia, but it's, it's just pressure. It's pressure of the, you know, top sport. And uh, there's another added pressure that the racing driver has to face every day. And it's the fact, not only about your teammate, about the other competitors, it's the fact that you represent 750 to 800 families, you know. And this is something that I always, uh, for me, it was always quite tough because it's if you do well or you do bad, you're just reassuring or you're just putting in jeopardy their jobs in a way. And that is something that you never have to forget as a sportsman, you know. But you know the ones that succeed who are? I mean, and Damon knows well because he's the only world champion here in this chat, you know, in this podcast. Is is the fact that that the ones that uh, take take they enjoy that that pressure. If you don't enjoy that type of pressure, if you have any, if you lack self confidence, whatever, you will end up wanting wanting to quit sooner or later because there will be always a monster next alongside you in the in the garage at one point. We we need to do a special episode just on confidence. I think at some point. Um, because a lot of what we talk about on, on when we're doing our stuff at Sky is is the is the mood of the driver. And Tom, you you do all the interviews. You know you, that's why we do the interviews. We want to know what state of mind the driver is in because they we classically we know Fernando is like he's rock solid. He's totally confident. And this is it an indicator? What comes first? Is it the confidence or is it the ability? And then the confidence comes after. I mean, it, it's it's a really it's a chicken and egg thing, I think. And some drivers show a little bit of, and I was guilty of this when I was racing, I guilt, you know, guilty of showing a little bit of in, um, uncertainty. And, and then suddenly everybody piles in because you're not giving out that, that thing. And Natalie's nodding her head because she spends her life looking and analysing drivers and confidence and state of play in, that, in the psychological department, don't you? In a way. For me, you put the nail on the head there, Damon. It's about what you exude. Um, there's that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Yeah, it's a brilliant quote, yeah. And it, and it's so true about life, and I just think that that's what... I mean, look, we know Sergio Perez is a great driver. We know he's got a phenomenal car. So what's the one piece missing? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's the chicken and egg, isn't it? It's like if he was... if You know what he was like when he was winning at the start of last year. His confidence was up. You know, that's the that's the the chat. The problem is the evidence is the lap time, and the confidence. It's very difficult to be confident if you if the evidence is saying you're not as quick as the other guy. Yeah, but hang on a second. But we need to go back one step because he did start so well. Yeah. But then what happens? They change the car. They change the car towards. Well, to suit Maxwell. 
I mean, look, I think we're looking back now rather than looking forward. And I think we need to focus on if, you know, if I was Harrison's foreigners and psychologist, I would just be drawing a line under Lars Simpson and moving forward. I mean, this is, this is his big hope, isn't it? 2024. Does he go into the season genuinely wanting and thinking he can challenge for a championship? Or does he go in with a change of mindset that he accepts he's the number two? Yeah, that was his well, mistake, though, wasn't it? I mean, I, I mean, what, what, one take as, as an example Eddie Irvine, okay, which he, he was my teammate at Jaguar, uh, and uh, there was one thing I learned from him that, that it was really interesting. Is well, basically he was never telling me that, you know, that. But when you think you cannot beat your teammate because he's better, and he had Michael Schumacher next to him, he, his attitude was, "Well, I'm the second best driver in the world," you know, and he nearly won a world championship just having that attitude and feeling comfortable with that uh, second uh, best driver in the world. Did he ever believe he was the second driver? I believe I believe so. And I think the trick is if you cannot beat your teammate because he's uh, so fast or he's one of the greatest of all time, like Max is, definitely, then just, just be comfortable with being the second best because you will have a chance to beat him at one point if you perform to your best. And this is the key. Okay, so what are our thoughts on Mercedes still clearly building an understanding of their car? When we talk about the start of last year, we had the sort of fairly grand launch of the car, a lot of expectation. I feel like they're playing things right down. I mean, I liked your point earlier, Pedro, about look, three days of testing. It's not a case of showing your hand or not. You're just getting on with your homework. I still feel like Mercedes are, are playing their cards certainly very close to their chest. That was fine. Yeah, they 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 are very difficult team to read. You know, if you look at their short runs, they they were quick, but they were possibly they looked very very heavy on fuel. I was watching at the corners; they had a lot of lockups. It looked like the the car was difficult to stop, and so. But then the long runs, especially the long run that Luis did on late day two, was extremely good. So we have to think that uh, Mercedes are will be very competitive, and they will be more competitive than what it looked like from the from their lap times here in 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 this precision test in Bahrain. They uh, Luis, uh, I think that Luis was very fast on the long run, and uh, that's something that has uh, been highlighted by many teams. Great on the really big story this year is how George Russell responds, and and I'm already feeling he's grown in stature. And he's tweaking like a team leader because he knows that this is a big transition year. If he can prove himself in that role and Kimi Antonelli can prove himself in F2, then it would feel like that is an actual partnership for the team going forward. I mean, I've no doubt George Russell is ready to lead this team, um, but he's going to have to put in some really strong results and, and really iron out any of his little mistakes from last year. I'm thinking of Singapore, for example. Um, I think the team dynamic at Mercedes is going to be fascinating to observe this year because, as you say, there's that transition period for George in which he's got to step up and become the team leader. Then there's the sort of no man's land that Lewis is going to drift towards as the season goes on, as the team starts to exclude him from meetings about the future. And Presumably that will be straight away. I mean, I just don't understand how you operate like that well yeah and I, and I think it will be very difficult for Lewis when you consider that you know he said that he's been with Mercedes for 26 years they've supported him since karting and then suddenly the team that has given him all that support is going to be giving him the cold shoulder so I think that is going to become a story because I don't think that, that can be I don't think that's going to be a, a smooth transition for him I thought it was interesting at the test that uh, when he came into the press conference, all the questions were about him and Ferrari, not him and Mercedes already. And yet we're at you know, the, the point in the season where everyone's on the honeymoon. We're all thinking we can all win the world championship. But actually, it's all about Ferrari for him. So in, in a way, that will help George as he steps up because Lewis is going to sort of be sidelined. Tom, that was a brilliant moment because he, you actually, he, he realised he was talking about Ferrari because you were asking the questions about Ferrari. Um, and 
And then he suddenly realized, wait a minute, I can't go on about Ferrari because I'm still driving for Mercedes. And he had to kind of stop himself. And he rather um, skillfully stopped going on about Ferrari and said, well, wait a minute, I'm actually still a Mercedes driver. And that was a really telling moment, I thought. But but it, it's because we have, I mean, there was nothing really to, to say apart from, from talking about his, uh, his future with Ferrari. Everything, all the Ferrari talk will happen now. But then once the season starts and you have the results, the weekend, the Grand Prix, uh, I think that the people will divert the attention. So I think it's, if, if, you, if you're going to change team, it's better to say it before the season starts than during the season, especially if you have a hidden agenda. If you know that you're going to change, the team knows that you're leaving. It's better to make it public, uh, make, you know, get all these questions now. And then once the season starts, but I, I can see that Tom is not agreeing with me, so... Well, I just feel that there was a lot to ask him about Mercedes because it was at the test last year that the team came out and said, no, we've got it wrong again. They knew immediately last year that the car was wrong. And so I wanted to know, well, did you know immediately that you've got it right? And it was George Russell, back to him, who came out and said, yes, we've got rid of some of the diva characteristics that were there in last year's car. We know that already. So not Lewis Hamilton commenting on it, but... So anyway, that's going to be uh, very interesting. Can they win races? I mean, let's not forget that last year was their first winless season since 2011. Um, I think they'll win races, yeah. But I think... What, you're gonna, you for, think they're uh, going to win races this year? Mercedes, yes, I do. Yeah. I think it's going to be so close. I think it's going to be so close that um, Red Bull will be favourites going into each event. Maybe Singapore aside... But I think people will trip up. And I think those second, third order differentiators that I talked about earlier will be a factor. And I think, you know, Mercedes have talked about improving their pit stops, improving exactly what I'm talking about. So they will become more of a factor. Yeah. If they don't do as well as they did last year, can we start talking about the the decline of Red Bull? (laughs) (laughs) Was that a little bit too harsh? (laughs) I think that there's one thing that uh, is, is very important and we shouldn't forget. It's a 24-race uh, season. So there will be many opportunities for many teams. You just have to keep uh, keep on the hand and that you have to keep developing de- developing your car because uh, there's definitely, there will be opportunities all around and not only for Red Bull. Let's move on to the prancing horse then. Um, the only team other than Red Bull to win a race last year, that brilliant drive by Carlos Sainz in Singapore. I felt they looked pretty good last week. Pedro, you were there. Let's go to you first. Uh, do you agree? Do you think they've taken a step forward? They looked impressive. Uh, not not only on the on the timesheets, they were fast, you know, but you can argue that the, their lap time was done with the C4. In a, you know, uh, I think that the most impressive thing of Ferrari was especially their long-run pace, and also how easy the car looked through the corners. On those ten, turn 11, turn 10, with difficult corners in Bahrain, the car looked easy, consistent. Uh, I could see hardly, I couldn't see any mistakes from the drivers, which means that uh, the car is easier. I could see many mistakes from many or plenty or most of the, the other drivers in these whisk, uh, windy conditions of Bahrain, but not a Ferrari. So they look impressive, yes, so... They will be they will be a, a tough opposition for sure. Yeah, I think that's the crucial point, isn't it? That the drivers seem happier, and it's the ironing out of those drivability issues, uh, making it more predictable, easier to drive. I mean, I know Fred Vasseur was. They all try to manage expectations, but I don't know. I just think you sense that he's happier with things um, than he was a year ago. The good cars are the the cars that are good under the windy conditions. You know, because they are very, uh, they are not sensitive to the through corner balance. They are really, they they are really stable through the corners. Cars that are good on windy conditions means they will be good in most type of, of corners. And and the Ferrari looks stable in uh, in Bahrain in these conditions. Well, that's what I was thinking. Listening when you were talking about watching the car in the windy conditions, that that you know that is a really good sign because what it means is when the steering wheel, when the when the front wheels start to turn, um, it can upset the airflow under the car. And if you've got a crosswind, it's the similar thing. So you know if the car is able to cope with that, and they've given the drivers a car that they can 
um, stay on top of when they've got a change in flow airflow over the car or under the car um, then that's a really good sign it means they've sealed off the bottom of the car from from influences from crosswinds and stuff like that I felt both drivers oozed confidence at the test uh, you know Charles Leclerc when his when his confidence is up he can be absolute dynamite and I think we're going to see more of the 2019 spec Leclerc this year when he came in and he had nothing to lose he'd just come to Ferrari first year and he was so impressive and I think that's what we're going to see again this year for for science however it is a difficult season isn't it um he knows that he's out at the end of the year whatever job he does for them this year we talked about the team dynamics at Mercedes and I mean for Carlos guys you've been there you know what is the the mindset for a driver going into his final year with a team well I I think that yeah, okay, it's much better when you have a long-term contract. But even if you have a long-term contract, that's, that that doesn't really mean much in Formula 1 either, you know? I mean, I've been with long-term contracts and then suddenly at the end of the year, we've parted company. So uh, all I'm saying is that I, I think that from the outside, it looks like it's going to be difficult. But I think that for any driver, we have a very short-term memory and a short-term uh, uh, perspective of things. You just are as good as your last few races and that's that's the attitude of any racing driver it's difficult to work on a team you are not going to be the the year the next year i don't think so you know i i really don't think so is it easier to to look long term yes but sometimes easier doesn't mean faster doesn't mean that you are more hungry so I always believe in short-term contracts for drivers because then you just give it 100% every day you jump into the car. And it's not as if he hasn't got a long-term future in Formula Absolutely. 1. You know, there are a lot of teams who want Carlos Sainz. I mean, and I would say Audi is top of the list in, in terms of the people who really want him. So he can take his time, focus on the day job and what will be what will be. There's a lot of goodwill for, for Carlos, I think, you know, especially probably still in Ferrari as well, because he's done a very, very good job there. Um, and I, I think he's one of these drivers who grows, you know, he's still growing and getting better. I think that also, yeah, he feels really comfortable with this new Ferrari. The fact that we, what we were discussing, that it's more consistent through the corner, it's less uh, random or picky with, uh, in, under windy conditions. I think that you can tell he was the fastest guy, you know, over the, the three days of testing. And if you look at his lap times, he they were done with the C4. Yes, it was the softer tire, but so his teammate Charles was did it. And they did it on different days, but at very similar times. I mean, it was around 4.40, 4.45 p.m., which means they were following similar programs. So he was quick, definitely quick, genuinely quick. Well, if... Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari have all taken a step forward for this year. And I think we all agree on that. When we talk about McLaren, I would argue that that's the first team that we've talked about where they've stalled a bit. Yes, they've made progress because everyone's made progress. But relative to where they were at the end of last year, McLaren haven't had an easy time of it so far. Would, uh, Would you guys agree? I'm surprised to hear you say that, Tom. I thought they did a, a decent job or looked reasonably confident with their car and their car looked like it was a continuation from last year's progress that they'd made. So they've got a good foundation, a good uh, jumping off point to, to, to whatever the expression is. You know, they can press on from there. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, they're going to bring upgrades, aren't they? Yeah. I'm with Damon on this because I think when you compare it to this time last year, do you remember the doom and gloom and, the way they was, you know, right off track and they were basically telling us, look, batten down the hatches, it's going to be a storm. Um, and then obviously things came good in Austria and I feel like the trajectory has been positive really since then. I, I, I don't know, I think I think McLaren will just be slightly confident coming into 2024. But the, the drivers were saying at the test that... We, we have had a few reliability issues here, particularly Lando, and that they are relying on the development rate being good enough to haul them back to the front. Let's not forget that Lando Norris was only outscored by Max Verstappen in the second half of last year. And I think the car he's got underneath him now 
will not allow him to be that competitive immediately. I'm not saying they can't get there, but when we when we um, get things underway in Bahrain this weekend, I don't expect McLaren to be quite as competitive as they were three months ago in Abu Dhabi. It it did it didn't look like an easy car to drive out there. You know, I was watching through the corners, and it was definitely you could tell that the drivers were fighting, and that uh, especially I was watching Oscar uh, on uh, his short runs on day three, and he was trying to put a lap time together, and he kept going off in turn eleven on the exit. So the car was definitely not easy to drive. They were fast, yes, but uh, they were having to fight fight it a bit more. Hmm. No, that is a bit worrying. <laughs> well, they were still very quick, Damon. They, they were still very quick, you know. I mean, I'm just judging uh, by not the lap times, as I've said before, just mainly about what I saw at the track, which is, you know, it's just only an indication. Well, you are, you are, we're relying an awful lot on you, Pedro, for feedback, because you are the man on the track uh, for the whole three days. You poor bloke, you must have got sunburn. Yes, I'm Spanish, man. Don't worry. It's a... Uh, it's just nothing, nothing I for forget. me. I forget. <laughs> I think that intra-team battle between Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri is going to be uh, a fascinating one as well. Uh, you know, Oscar coming into his second season, he's been there, he's done it. There are going to be no new surprises. Um, and I think particularly in the races, he's going to... Uh, get even more competitive. Lando needs no introduction. He's he's a great Formula One driver, but we did see him make a few mistakes last year under pressure from from Oscar. So I'm fascinated to see how that evolves. And I really hope that the McLaren is fast enough for for Lando in particular, actually, to get that first Grand Prix win. But they just need a few a few things to fall into place for that to happen. And of course, he's now got a long term contract with McLaren as well so he believes in the team otherwise he wouldn't have signed it do you think he's a little bit disappointed that he jumped as as quickly as he did on the new contract when you've got seats at mercedes at aston martin etc available i think i'm with pedro i'm with pedro on this i think that the fluidity the in the market for drivers it needs to be kept fluid and i think maybe we should think about not allowing long-term contracts so everyone's contract becomes up for renewal at the end of the year that'd be a lot of talking that'd be a great talking point and I think from a you know from I'm, it's only because I'm very bitter because I never had only once had a, a long-term contract and that was only for two years and that, and that was the next the last the second year of that one was so awful and I retired from racing anyway so every Christmas I was spending anxiously wondering whether I was going to have a job the next year and I think it does keep you on your toes well 13 drivers are out of contract at the end of this year 13 drivers so it, the silly season is going to go mad I feel like I'm missing out because it seems everyone is either starting a side hustle or becoming their own boss lately. And you know what they're hearing a lot of? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your business. Whether you're selling handcrafted furniture or homemade skincare, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person, leaving you to focus on everything else without needing to learn any new skills in design or coding. And it's revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. That's because it's got all your channels covered. From a shopfront-ready POS system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. And what I love about Shopify is that it gives you complete control over your business and your brand, quietly supporting you every step of the way with its award-winning help and extensive business course library. And no matter what your goals are, you'll find it's full of industry-leading tools designed to ignite your growth and give you the confidence to take your business to the next level. It's incredibly empowering for entrepreneurs. And it's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash nation, all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash nation to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk slash nation.
Right, gentlemen, any other business? And I don't want to kickstart this session by talking about what we do or don't call V-Club, RB, racing balls. But that team, the team will Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Sonoda, how competitive are they going to be? They, they look they look promising. They look promising and uh, fast, you know, at, uh, but it's going to be very difficult. I, I really don't have a clear indication. I was, uh, the car looked pretty good. And when I was watching, uh, I was watching the long run from from Daniel, and they look consistent. But it's a diff- it's a team that it's difficult to read. Let's talk Alpine and Williams. Pretty difficult three days for both of them. I feel let's start with Alpine. Um, they're obviously got high expectations, high hopes, but it feels like they're constantly stalling on those. I mean, where do they go from here? What did they look like out on track to you? They looked difficult. I mean, they looked like there was a, they looked quite sensitive to the wind. It is true they never used the soft softest compound, so there is room for improvement there just alone by using the C4 or C5, which other teams did. But we don't really know if that will be the race spec or they're waiting for you know some latest parts for the race. It didn't look easy for the drivers, that's for sure, out track. I thought that Williams looked... Um, well, it sounded like they were happier with things. I think that you know teams like like Williams. And we're talking about Alpine a moment ago. They've got they've had a big injection of cash last year, but I mean this takes time for these things to be to have have an effect. Um, they, they 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 basically sold, sold some interest, and so they they've got a big windfall that they can spend. But you can't just suddenly improve your design facilities overnight so and i think it's a similar thing with williams is that they've they know where they want to go and i think under james vows they'll be te- he will be going through in, in fine detail what can be improved but i mean you're not going to get that over christmas um so the car is better and i think the drivers were happier um and they will will have an improvement so and they didn't do too badly last year so um so I th- for for what they expected to do. So uh, it's going to be very the general the general feeling is it's going to be nip and tuck between the the a group of four cars or something four teams at the back of the grid, which is Alpine, Williams, and um, Haas, and maybe uh, RB. I don't know, but um, but there's there's a, there's the next gap of the middle pack with the McLarens and the Aston Martins and so forth, and of course, and then there's. Then there's the top potential runners, which are Ferrari and and Red Bull. I think that's and Mercedes, perhaps. You know, so I think those that's the way it's sort of broken down. So they could be anywhere in the mix. There, they might even knock on the door of getting through to Q3 on, on occasions. I don't know. Yeah, Williams. They they did very. It was the team that did less laps during the whole three days, 299. So they, they, their first day was very bad. They had only 61 laps. So I think that. Their lap times and uh, were maxed, masked a bit by the the reliability issues they had. So I think there's more to come from Williams, to be honest. Sauber are, are very ambitious this year. James Key, uh, their new technical director, came in on the first of September, and he immediately added, I think, fifty percent to uh, what he wanted uh, for the targets for the Aero guys, and they met those targets. So. Yeah, they've had a good winter. I think they had a good test. Bottas was very upbeat in particular. So where are they going to slot in? I would say maybe next weekend, sixth, seventh uh, best team, something like that, just outside Q3. But who knows? And that is the brilliant thing about uh, this time of the year. But hold your thoughts on Bahrain next weekend, gang, because new feature for these preview shows in 2024 is our Quiz the Nation. Every race preview, uh, we're going to test our experts' knowledge with a quiz on that week's race. So, Damon, Natalie and Pedro, how much do you guys know about the Bahrain Grand Prix? We're about to find out. We've got four rounds, qualifying sprint, race and the podium. And if the scores are even after those, then we'll take you to a tiebreaker so we can crown a champion. So let's get on with the first round. It's qualifying and you're each going to face one quick fire question worth one point. Right, Pedro, we're going to start with you. Question one. Who took 
the fastest lap at last year's Bahrain Grand Prix? Verstappen. <laughs> that would have been too <laughs> obvious, surely. <laughs> incorrect. So Pedro is incorrect. Yeah. I'm putting a zero. I think I know this. Go on. I think I know it. Go on. But Go am on. I allowed to jump in? Yeah, well, yes. It's really, it's really obscure, and I might be way off the mark here, but I have this weird memory that it was Joe. Yes, it was, Pinkle. That was it? Joe Guan Yu. Uh, one minute... One minute thirty three point nine nine six. If anyone is interested, so uh, Pedro, not a great start for you. I, th- I, th- I thought I thought you asked. I thought you asked who was going to do the fastest lap this season. Uh, okay, for Right, Pink. I can't believe how much I'm buzzing just for getting that one question right. <laughs> you love it's a like... quiz, don't you, Pinks? You love a quiz. Uh, right, Pinks, your turn. Your turn. Uh, which driver stepped in as a replacement for Juan Pablo Montoya, who was apparently injured playing tennis at the 2005 Bahrain Grand Prix? I tell you what, tick tac, tick tac, tick tac, tick tac, tick tac, tick tac, tick tac. Oh, I see what you're doing here. You're trying to distract me because you know the answer. I think I know it. The answer be someone sitting in this room by any chance? Do you know what I was going to say? I was going to say, this is a lesson to all of those paddle tennis players out there. I mean, it looks great, but you've got to be careful. Um, it wasn't you, was it, Pedro? You're right. One point for Natalie. <laughs> That's not fair. He gave her help. Hang on a minute. I think he did give me help. He was trying. See, that was bad for you, Pedro. Yes. You were trying to throw me with your little ticking yeah. clock. And actually, all that did is tell me, you were very excited to say it was you. It was you. <laughs> I love it. I'm here to help, Natalie. Pedro, you've made it when you're an answer on the Quiz the Nation quiz. Uh, right, Damon, on to you. Uh, the 2014 Bahrain Grand Prix became known as the jewel in the desert because of an extraordinary battle between which two drivers? Oh, my God. I'm going to have to really... 2014. You were there. Can I answer this one? Man? Yeah, Pedro I mean, can answer. No, this one. you can't. Pe- yeah. Damon. Julie- oh, God. I can. 20. I can. De La Rosa, wait. Oh, God. Damon's looking pensive. It was. I know. No, it can't. <laughs> you were, it wasn't. You were it at was, the race, Damon. You were at the race. I know I was, but I can't remember these races. I just, Damon, uh, focus. Yeah. Do you, remember our, do you remember our, like, branding on Sky Sports that year? It was all Jewel in the Desert, Jewel in the Desert, Jewel in the Desert. But who would have been between? Tom, stop it, man. She's helping she is, him. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're ganging uh, up okay, on you, well, Pedro. Was it... Uh, I don't know. 2014. It, uh, that's 10 years ago, man. Honestly. <laughs> it's an God. easy question. You just have to sing <laughs> yes. the year. It's like wading yes. through treacle. <laughs> no, God. I, I give up. I mean... I give up. It, it's going to be one of the drivers. Give it... Oh, one of two drivers. It's it got to be been... two drivers. The question is, oh, is which it Fernando Alonso and, 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 and Lewis? No, incorrect. Right. Uh, so, Pedro, you, you're dying to answer this, I can see. Who was it, Pedro? Okay. Well, it was uh, the fight between Luis and uh, Nico, you know? Correct. Last 10 laps yes. after the safety car. Yes. Luis was with the hard tire. Nico was with the medium. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, something like that. And then they were one yes, second apart. And, uh, but it, 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 one second apart yes. at the flag. And, and the thing is, Damon, it was an easy one because it was the first year of the hybrid era. And the first year of the hybrid era, it was a clear dominance from the Mercedes Angels. No? Yeah, yeah. So, I, remember, I remember. I was just teasing with you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I didn't uh, get it right, the one from the fastest lap. So, you know, All right. uh, nothing to, so, to be proud of. Team, after qualifying... The score's on the doors. Natalie has one point. Pedro has zero and Damon has zero. So we're going into the sprint now. Uh, this game is sudden death. I want you to name the 18 drivers who have finished on the podium at the Bahrain Grand Prix since its debut on the Formula One calendar back in 2004. Each of you is going to take it in turns to name a driver. And if you have an incorrect answer, or if you repeat one that's already been given, or you just fail to provide one, then you're going to be out of the round. And the last person standing wins a point. All right. So all 18 drivers 
that have finished on the podium in Bahrain. Damon, we'll start with you. Off you go. No, it's no good. I, I, I basically, I'm refusing to play because I don't like playing games which I know I'm going to lose at. So this is in, totally unfair. I mean, uh, God, okay, well, obviously Lewis, right? right? Obviously Max. Okay, no, yeah. I only want one. No, wait, 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 wait. I just need oh, one sorry, right, from okay. you. One, one. So oh, you, you've I've said... Got I've, got, I've got one. Right, you've got... said Lewis. Uh, Pedro, now you. Fernando. Correct. Nats. Sebastian Vettel. Correct. Damon, back to you. George Russell. Uh, you're you're our first faller, Damon. Yeah. Damon is our first. No, because he you, he hasn't finished on the podium. Mm. Well, so I've da- learned something. Da- Damon is out. <laughs> I have to say, Damon, I thought you'd last longer than that. But um, right, Pedro, back to you. Uh, come on, eighteen drivers that have finished on the podium in Bahrain. Give us one. Okay, Bottas. Correct. Nats. Um. You said Nico Rosberg. Correct. Pe- Pedro, back to you. Uh, Weber mate. It's not meant to be this hard. Weber mate. Uh, Weber mate. <laughs> uh, Weber mate actually means that we have a winner because Marcus never finished on the podium oh. <laughs> uh, in Bahrain. So Natalie gets our point. She is now. It is now two. To Natalie, zero to Pedro and zero to Damon. Uh, For those of you at home who want to know who the other podium finishers have been, Michael Schumacher, Rubens Barrichello, Jensen Button, Jarno Trulli, Kimi Raikkonen, Felipe Massa, Robert Kubica, Roman Grosjean, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Alex Albon, Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz. No one was going to get Jarno Trulli, were they? (laughs) (laughs) Right, on to the race now. We've got a bit of team radio for you guys, all right? Uh, In this round, you're each going to hear a clip of team radio from previous Bahrain Grand Prix. A word or phrase has been bleeped out. And to win a point, you need to correctly guess what the missing word or phrase is. So, Damon, we'll start with you. What is Fernando Alonso saying here? And by the way, this is my hero. Amazing performance. Well done, everyone. Oh, um, Lance. And by the way, Lance is my hero. Amazing performance. Well done, everyone. Yeah. He is indeed. Lance is my hero. See, Damon, I got it wrong. You have I your first wrong. point of the game. <laughs> right. Pedro, uh, what is Gunther Steiner saying here? Kevin, that was so Come back. So, Pedro, what word did Gunter use to describe Kevin Magnussen's comeback as he finished P5 on his return to Formula One in 2022? Amazing comeback? Something. Amazing something comeback? comeback. Uh, something comeback. How much am I going to help you? I mean, the usual words from Gunter, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I have no idea, man. Kevin is I a mean, Dane. Shocking. No. no, I'm afraid, Pedro. Uh, Dennis, 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 come back. Dennis, come back. Kevin, that was a Viking comeback. Almost <laughs> a Viking comeback. Right, Pinks, now you. What is Lance Stroll saying here? How long is the red flag going to be? Why is that, Lance? Because I got a. <laughs> it must be, I've got a pick. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. Remember How long is the it's like gonna be gonna be because I got up. Well, I'm, it's either pee or poo. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> How long is the red flag gonna be? Why is that, Lance? Because I gotta pee. <laughs> You're right, Pinks. Because I gotta what? pee is the correct Me answer. Too. So scores on the doors. Natalie, Natalie, after the race has three points. Uh, Damon has one, and Pedro has yet to score. So, final round. It is the podium. And it is mystery F1 guest time. Your task is to reveal which mystery Formula One guest I am. I'll give you three clues in total, one at a time, if you guess correctly. After the first clue, you'll win three points. After the second clue, you'll receive two points. And after the final clue, a single point. 
Once you think you know the answer, shout it out. So are you all ready for clue number one? If I wasn't a Formula One driver, I'd have liked to be a banker or a lawyer. Um, I, I, don't, I, I, I think I know. Three points. Any ideas? Yeah. Nick DeVries. <clears throat> yeah, but he did go. He went and did uh, business college, didn't he, after he stopped racing in F1? Pedro Nats, any ideas? I'm going to say George, just because he looks like a banker. He looks kind of like grown up, and, you know. He's a total guest. I don't know. No. Uh, it was Checo, I think. It was Checo. Yes, Pedro. Yes. 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 I'm back. I'm back. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Pedro, those those three points draw you level with Natalie. You now have three Whoa, each. Oh, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a comeback. It's a Viking comeback. <laughs> so this tiebreaker is between Natalie and Pedro. Are you ready? Yes. Ha- <laughs> How many pit stops were there in total at last year's Bahrain Grand Prix? C- closest answer will win. All right. I just want one number from each of you, and then I will. I will then say who's won. Pedro, okay. number please. Okay, thirty-eight. Okay, Natalie. Um, I'm going to go thirty-nine. Damon, just bring you in. What would you have I, I said? I wouldn't have said anything like that. I, I reckon it's, uh, well, there's t- uh, 20 cars. They probably stopped twice, but some maybe didn't. So 35. Uh, the correct answer. The correct answer is 48. Oh, uh, yeah. I was Natalie say that. said 39. So Natalie wins. She is closest. She's absolutely Our first winner of quiz 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 the nation and natalie you have wow natalie you smashed it well pedro listen i feel a bit of a fraud here because i waited for your answer and i thought i'd just go one more and then i'll be closer to it so i i was gonna say 42 but i thought if i go 39 then anything above that is going to be mine for the taking isn't it so yes i think no no you did well you you were very astute yeah, you're being I think maybe going I forward. That, uh, he's such a gentleman. I need to get you to write down your answers. And uh, yeah, you should have done actually. That would have been fairer. Well, ah, Pinks, you're very modest. I think you uh, you smashed it. Right. <laughs> well, team, back to the season opener in Bahrain now. Uh, both this race and the following one in Saudi Arabia take place on a Saturday. That's because Ramadan starts on Sunday, the 10th of March. And we go racing in Jeddah on Saturday, the 9th instead. And because Formula One rules stipulate that there must be at least a week between two races, Bahrain has also been brought forward by a day. Like the old days at Silverstone, uh, when the British Grand Prix used to be on a Saturday as well. So here's the schedule at the Bahrain International Circuit this week. Free practice one and two take place on Thursday. FP3 and qualifying are on Friday and it's a lights out for the race on Saturday at 6 p.m. local time. Please do check the official Formula One website or mobile app to find your local timings for each of those sessions. And Pedro, as the lap record holder in Bahrain, why don't you talk us through the track layout and which teams will be best suited to its characteristics? Well, I think that the main main challenge for this track is the braking stability into the first sector, especially uh, just traction as well. And then the windy uh, conditions of the middle sector, which is the one that has most uh, number of corners. You have to have a quick car on the straights with high efficiency because they're very long straights, two long areas of DRS. So all in all, I think it's going to be, it's, it, it will be a difficult track to get all the three sectors in, especially because of the windy conditions. Uh, I think the windy conditions will be the, the most difficult threat for all the drivers. Mm. It will be very difficult for them to beat my lap record, but I think this year will happen. You know, sooner or later it will happen, especially with uh, with the uh, race simulations that we saw this race, this, uh, this test, they were very fast. And especially if there's a safety car at the end of the race, uh, which will give the opportunity to fit new set of tires for all of them. Also, the fact that that extra point for fastest lap is adding a big threat to my lap record this year. So, all in all, a difficult track. Um, 
yeah, I'll I'll be hanging in there. Hopefully, how many how many pit stops are we going to see? More than forty eight. I think it will be very similar to last year because uh, the fact that it uh, it is it looks like a two stop race like last year, and that's why I calculated thirty eight because it's two times twenty plus one car that doesn't stop. For example, I I just said thirty eight because of that. That does doesn't finish the race. I meant. So above 40, possibly. You know, the, the tires are the same from last year, so we should be looking at the same between 40 to 48 pit stops total. Well, look, final question from me is, can we get each of your podium predictions? Let's start with the 96 champion, Damon. My podium for, for the Bahrain Grand Prix, the opening race of the 2024 season, is as follows, in reverse order. Uh, God, um, my first order is Fernando Alonso, right? And then the next is going to be uh, Checo Perez, and then the winner is going to be a, a, a totally stunned world. Are gonna uh, Lewis is going to win it, and this is because both Red Bulls have sprung a leak, and there's something they've overheated or they got some technical problem they didn't realise was going to happen, and that's not wishful thinking. I just you know, I just think we're going to get a surprise result. I, I hope, anyway. Wow. Lewis for the win. Pedro. Okay, I'll, I'll go in re- reverse order as well as uh, Damon. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, any of my team uh, members, any of uh, Lance or, or Fernando. It, would be, it wouldn't be fair. I have uh, too much information, really. So <laughs> I, I'm going to say uh, a Ferrari. Carlos will be f- third. Checo second and first uh, first happen, Max. So th- there's my guess. I think that's uh, what we have learned this week. Um, I'm going to go Lando, Lando third. I'm going to go Charles second and Max first. I think uh, Natalie is really really accurate and uh, this uh, today. Huh? She's really <laughs> someone someone to watch. She's beaten us to the questions and answers, and now it looks quite interesting. Her prediction. Well, I agree with you. We have 12 race preview shows this year, and I think Natalie's going to do you 12 nil, lads. The, the question really here is, does Na- Natalie have inside information? Are you passing her the questions? Oh, you know, this is go. something we should... Paranoia. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I remember the email yes, that said, don't see. look yes. at the answers. Do you yes. remember that? The email. Exactly, yeah. Damon. Ah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. That would yes. be, are you, because, are you I, yes for the, you're, you seem like such a gentleman and now you're uh, suggesting that Natalie paranoia. might be paranoia yeah he's gone paranoid yeah. he's gone F1 paranoid but <laughs> I don't know if I trust Natalie she might have just got the competitive instinct might have just got the better of her there another year of Formula One means another year of our F1 Nation racing team desperately trying not to finish last in F1 Fantasy. Yes, F1 Fantasy is back for 2024, and so is the F1 Nation World Championship. It's free to play. Just search for the Fantasy section on the official Formula One website or app to pick your team, and then you can join our league and compete against us and other listeners. With a cost cap of $100 million, you have to pick five drivers and two constructors. You can make transfers and apply various chips throughout the season to collect extra points at certain races. The game has definitely got more challenging this year with drivers being more expensive, so it's hard to pick a solid lineup. But for the first two races, we're going with Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso, Alex Albon, Joe Guan Yu and Kevin Magnussen, with Red Bull Racing and Williams as our constructors. Remember, just search F1 Nation World Championship 2024 to join our league and you have until the start of qualifying on Friday. Yes, Friday. It's a Saturday race in Bahrain to pick your team ahead of the opening race of the season. Good luck. We'll certainly need it. Not long to wait, everybody at home. Uh, If you have any questions, by the way, we've been talking about our quiz, any questions for for any one of us, please remember to get in touch through f1nation at f1.com. But that's it. That is our season preview done and dusted. Thank you very much to Damon, to Nats and to Pedro for joining me. And you'll hear plenty of their expertise here on F1 Nation throughout the season. 
Thank you to you at home for listening as well. The show is nothing without you. And we will, of course, be back next Monday with our Bahrain Grand Prix review. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Formula One is the greatest sport in the world. But there can be a lot to understand. Don't worry, we're here to help. I'm Katie Osborne. This is Christian Hugill. And welcome to F1 Explains. This is the official F1 podcast about how the sport really works. The drivers, the cars, the rules, the words, the risk takers, late breakers, and history makers that amaze and inspire us every race weekend. Hit like, follow or subscribe for new episodes every Friday as we answer your questions about F1 with the help of some very special guests. Oscar Piastri, welcome for your debut on F1 Explains. Thank you, thanks for having me. Double World Champion Mika Hakkinen, welcome to F1 Explains. That they could make up, what, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? And by your side, a woman whose race strategy once made Sergio Perez cry. It's important for me to say tears of joy. Welcome back, Bernie Collins. Thank you so much. You've just not heard the crying ones from losing the race. <laughs> Susie Wolf joining us here on F1 Explains. What a joy to have you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me, Christian Hugill and Katie Osborne on the stage is Formula One legend David Coulthard. We'll be here across the 2024 season with current drivers and legends of the sport. Plus, insights and explanations from people you don't usually get to hear from, the unseen experts who are essential to Formula One. We need your question to put to our experts. Are you F1 Explains? <laughs> we are. I love your podcast. I love F1 Explains. <laughs> Christian Hugo. Oh, my God. And Katie Osborne. Osborne. Record it as a voice note on your phone, or you can write it in an email and send it to F1Explains at F1.com. Just search for F1Explains wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll speak to you soon. (laughs) 